Chai Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday. Between two to three, where we discuss education, chinuch, we discuss the world, life, how to be better people, how to influence our families, our friends, ourselves, really be living in the world we want to live in. Before I even start for today, just seeing the weather outside here in Joburg, so to our listeners from Joburg, I know that uh, not everyone is here, but if you are in Joburg and you are in your car driving, just be safe, just be careful, and... You know, I, I will say how to text and how to be in touch and comment on the show, but if you're driving and in this weather and even if you're just with your kids and it's a lot happening, don't stress. It's okay. We could text next time. But anyways, the SMS is 34519. Telegram is 061-895-1019. Or if you want to call 087-055-1818. So this week we are finally, officially all back in school. Uh, I'd say everybody's back in I've almost forgetting that we were just in holiday, just, uh, you know, in a whole different world of atmosphere, etc. And last week on the show, I was sitting here with six leading principals in the community from various schools talking about the school role and how, you know, we were celebrating the metric results and the IEB metric results and really the great accomplishments and how students have come so far and done so well in school. Really, really nice to celebrate. And that was from the school and we spoke all about the school parts and education and influencing the child and growing, etc. So today, you know me already, I'm going to have to go with the opposite approach. So here, today I'm here with Dr. Ken Resnick. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Ken Resnick, who is a psychologist, is also the founder of Smart Choice Parenting and a regular presenter, a weekly presenter, I'd say, in the Kamoha Parenting Group, and really involved in parents' education, uh, working with therapists, with schools, with parents. And at the end of the day, his message is very clear. Parents are the one who are directing the child, and it's about the parents. So let's hear about that and let's discuss and let's challenge. Is it really about the parents? But first, good afternoon, Dr. Ken Resnick. Thank you so much for being with us today. Pleasure. Thank you, Rabbi Ji. Okay. Tell us a bit about yourself for those of us just joining. Okay. So I've come quite a long road. Um, and ever since I started doing psychology, I couldn't understand that there was the parenting role was omitted in the training of all psychologists. This didn't make sense. And then I happened to have to do an extra honors degree at Pretoria University, and uh, they had this unbelievable bro- approach called a phenomenology, phenomenological approach, the adult's role in guiding a child to adulthood. So they had moved a little bit away from psychology. They were training teachers because teachers are educators, parents are the primary educators. Nobody had actually done a, a program for parents. I just fitted me like a glove because it was exactly where, where my thinking was and it made so much sense based on 30 years of research that they've been working on this, and it is it was really quite amazing. Okay, so let's see, we're gonna dive into this discussion and see about parents and their role, etc., and what it puts on them. We do need to start with a quick ad break, and when we come back, we will start uh, deeper into this conversation, a short break, and we will be right back. 
The High Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch, by G. We are back, and I'm here in studio with Dr. Ken Resnick. Dr. Resnick is the founder and leader of Smart Choice Parenting, as well as a presenter and Kamocha Parenting Groups, and as well as you know, really known for his approach towards parents and work in the community and without the community, uh, pretty well known. And right before the break, you spoke about the, you know, since you started psychology over 30 years ago, you were very uh, fascinated by the role of the parents and it fits exactly into what you say. And I don't know, I, I, I think I look at parents today they're providing financially, they're taking lifts, they're going, you know how many mothers are listening now that are just driving in the thunder and lightning and going with their kids and doing everything. And now we want to throw more guilt at them as if it's not enough and saying, well, actually, your child is in your hands and his success is in your hands. Isn't yeah. that serious? It is that serious. I think we need to understand that parenting is just a job. That's all it is. It's a job. In other words... Just. It's a 24-hour, seven days a week job. Yeah, Yeah. just a job. But but if you do it correctly, it doesn't have to be 24-7 if you understand your role. And interesting enough, indigenous people, if you have a look at the Khoisan, they they don't hit their kids. The the kids are with their parents. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. The kids, (laughs) from the time those kids are born, they're taking them into that hostile environment with the family and equipping them with skills equipping them how to protect themselves, how to build shelters, recognize foods, recognize dangers, handle that hostile environment. And this is with indigenous people all over the world. So it's more sort of instinctive, but they don't have ADHD kids. They don't have kids with anxiety disorders, etc. So what we've got to try and understand is that... How do we know that? Because if you have a look and you read up about them, you'll find that they would they they wouldn't survive maybe they just don't have psychologists maybe but their values are a little bit different they live in a hostile environment and they've got to survive that environment they've got to hunt they've got to kill they've got to protect themselves so it's very different to us but they're playing the role as the caregiver taking their children into life so what you've got to understand that when a child is born they're born with a brain healthy see two adults who they don't know what parent means, but who they're totally dependent on to take them into life, to equip them with the skills, to guide them and take them in. So if you have a look, kids are born, let's say, in a cot. Parents can keep them in a cot all their lives. The parent opens the child's world to them. They've got to help them cope with the world outside. Not, not just about the home. It's about interacting, socializing, uh, feeling good about themselves, self-motivated, Behaving appropriately, not giving up, having grit, all of those things, keeping up the passion, that is up to the parent to know how to do that. So what is actually happening is that by, it seems to be the trend these days, especially with the compassionate parenting, we're doing too much for the child, things they could be doing for themselves. Child like what? Well, like tying their own shoelaces, like saying please and thank you, like taking off from the table, taking their toys out and packing their toys away. Um, going into a shop. A little five-year-old parent can stand at the door and let them go and choose and get a, a liter of milk and they can bring it back and the parent can pay. In other words, 
name it it's safe but where the child is interacting not just at home not just dependent on mom and dad to be there for them and the key is that you must remember trust is the most important relationship a child has to have with the adult so from a parent's point of view they've got to trust that kids can do a lot they can do a lot for themselves they're born quite tough as long as you don't abuse them from a child's point of view they have to trust that that parent knows what they're doing that the parents equipped to keep calm to know how to manage them so that the child feels emotionally safe so the moment for instance a parent say, says you know play in the lounge but be careful child breaks a vase parent loses it child has no idea why the parents that upset they said they could play the vase is just a piece of glass to them and that, that's when there's a problem so the moment they're screaming and shouting it's like any guide you depend on any guide wherever you're going to you, when you're going on an expedition into the Amazon you have to trust that guide if you're going in an aeroplane you trust the pilots that they know what they're doing so children have to understand that and trust the parent that the parent can handle any situation that they confronted with without losing it so you, you say well there's so many points that you know I, I want to comment on and we're going to have to discuss sure uh, especially you know some of them are things that you know make perfect sense but then at the same time I'm saying I wonder if our listeners are actually relating to it like how many of our listeners will say hmm my five year old yeah I think I'll send them in the shops and just watch from distance and let them pick the milk I, I'm curious to know uh, maybe if anybody does want a message if you're not in too much of a thunder and lightning 34519 is SMS line do, do you, does this resonate with you or telegram 0618951019 but here's what I do want to uh, you, you, I do want to start with a very interesting point you mentioned and you're talking about a child viewing his parents shouting as losing control and therefore not to be trusted well trust breaks down where the child is uncertain or in, becomes insecure when they've been allowed to do something or they're told not to do something. They don't really understand why. For instance, if a parent gives them their cell phone and says, be careful, and they drop it and they might break it, why are they getting so angry? It's a piece of plastic to a child. So you don't let a child play in the lounge if there's stuff they can break. You don't give children a cell phone if they can throw it against the wall. So we've got to understand that we are training a child to have values. The rule is just... You need to give me some ages because I have no idea what you're talking about. When you say, well, I give my child a a phone and he doesn't know why I'm upset if it breaks. Are are we talking about five-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 25-year-olds? From when they're young. Remember, the first five years are really vital. We're training them from the beginning. There are a lot of kids of three and four that are sitting on cell phones. They They are not cell phones and playing with them. Expensive cell phones. They don't need to be playing with these things. Why are they playing with these things? Because parents are giving it to them. And it keeps them quiet and it keeps them occupied. And there are so many consequences of this type of behavior. Like, for instance, uh, and I heard, it, I heard a talk the other day, there's an increase in myopia with young kids, short-sightedness. Kids evidently are born short-sighted. And as they grow up, they start seeing distance, their eyes adjust to the environment. But if you have a look at a two- or three-year-old with a cell phone, they're holding it right here next to their eyes. Yeah. So there's been a spike in short-sightedness as an example. 100%. That we also know that, and we've discussed this quite a bit on the show, that with optometrists and as well, that after COVID, younger kids who were just doing their schooling for months on a computer, there was a huge spike in glasses and, and, and a needs for that. So 
the cell phones is a, is a problem on its own. Um, but what you're saying is that if you have something that you won't be able to handle if your child destroys or breaks or whatever it is, then don't let them be near it. Yeah, it's not a toy, as an example. And or play around it or yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Get them a little toy phone or they don't have to play with your yeah. 20,000 rand iPhone, you know? Yeah, it's not, 20,000 rand sounds quite a bit for a three-year-old to play with. Yeah. Um, and uh, we all know the story about the child who asked his mom, he came to his dad and said, is it true that you don't cry over spilled milk? And he said, yeah. I said, even if it spills on your iPhone. And <laughs> obviously that, that shouldn't be in their, in their range of hands. Yeah. So, okay, so, so we know what not to do. After the break, we need to know what yes to do. What are we looking at in order to discuss the, pro the appropriate parenting that we do need to see and want to have for our children? The Chai Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. 101.9 Chai FM Chai Chinuch Rabbi G. We are back and I'm here in a fascinating discussion. I'm here with Dr. Ken Resnick, who is the founder of smart choice parenting as well as a presenter in Kamocha parenting groups and really a strong voice that speaks about the responsibility and the power that parents have. So let's put aside for a second the responsibility that parents have and let's look at a second for the power they have, meaning their ability to actually help their children and support their children. And, you know, in we all dream and hope and wish and do the best we can for our children what is it that we need to do for them well we need to do we, un we need to understand just that parents have all the power and children are totally dependent on them so do the children know that no but they, they will they will learn that because they're living with them so mm -hmm. they can't leave home at the age of six they can't just do what they like they totally no, up to what the parent how the parent prescribes them. Once we know that, the, the key is how do you parent by staying calm? Now, that is one of the things that, when I listen to parents talking to kids today, there's always that snappy. Now, right now, go to your room. Now, remember I told you to pick up your toys and they're talking to them in a tone. Instead of knowing, creating a situation where you get the child buying and the child understands if they've made a bad choice, there's a consequence. Like, for instance, you leave your toys or your shoes in the lounge, you saying to mom, I don't want my shoes. If you don't want your shoes, fine, we can give them away. If you want your shoes, go and put them back in the cupboard. That's all. But you have preempted those rules with the children, so they know that is a rule. So instead of you saying, now get to your room, and I'm not giving you this, they saying to you, mom, I don't want the shoes. You make them aware by making that choice, they're actually saying to you, mom, you can take my shoes, so I've left them in the lounge. But they'll take them back. The same with their toys. So you preempt is very important. Before we go down to preempting and yeah. to that point, I'm almost finding myself questioning how comfortable I should feel in this discussion. And I'll tell you why. I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a mom out there listening to us now. She's driving a car in storms like we can't imagine. When one child in the back is crying saying that he's hungry, and he had a horrible day. The other girl is saying, I'm never going back to school, it's the worst. The third one is just saying, I'm hungry. And everyone is pulling the other direction. In the meantime, she's listening to us, but really her boss is on the phone, needing to know why something didn't happen at work. And we're sitting here in the studio and saying, you know what, you should just stay calm. Don't shout at your kids, stay relaxed, stay calm. 
are we realistic? Now, you're not saying they must stay calm. They must understand how they can stay calm. <laughs> okay, so so once, how? <laughs> once, you've got the te- once you've got the technique, like with most things, there have got to be rules in a car. For instance, no heating in the car. I work on a sort of roster system according to the kids. Everyday changes, and whoever's top of the list, they can choose where they sit in the car. So little petty things. They can't just turn on the radio. They've got to ask. The rule is if you're going to perform or scream and shout, will mean when you get home, you don't want to watch whatever the case is. You spell out the rule. Then ask them, are you happy with that rule? They're happy with that rule, you don't have a problem. So then when it happens, they take the consequences. If I can just give you an example what happened with me, bringing up uh, stepkids. Uh, we had a rule in the house that if I recorded a movie, if the, any of the kids had deleted the movie, they were saying to me they didn't want to watch TV for a week. One day a movie deleted. happened to be Erica. So I said to her in a calm voice, I said, X, I don't believe you don't want to watch TV for a week. She said, why? I said, well, you deleted the movie. She accepted it. But three days later she came to me and she said, Ken, when can I watch TV again? I said, Erica, I wanted you to watch during all the agreed times. But when you deleted that movie, you said to me, you don't want to watch it for a week because that was the deal. So it's a week. She went away, never said another word, there was not a single problem. So it's all about spelling it out to a kid and getting their mind. Do you agree that that's fair? Are you okay with it? And it's amazing how it works. So you've got to have structure, you've got to have routine, you've got to have boundaries. The home is not a playground. They've got to know where they can play, where they can't play. Toys, little rules, bedtime, packing things away. All of that is just training. So it's, it's I really need to hear from the parents about that. And again, I'm going to say, the I'm going to say shortly the number of where to send messages because I'm wondering how many parents here feel that if they would tell their child in a calm voice, you can't be on your cell phone for one week, which is the equivalent to when you're talking about not watching TV or whatever it is, that their child will say, "Okay, I get it, I understand." Tell me what you think about that. How realistic? Unless you eventually need to get there. And maybe today it's too late or not too late. What do you think? 34519 is the SMS line. Or send us a a telegram at 061-895-1019. Telegram 061-895-1019. Or SMS 34519. Which is, yeah, I'd really love to hear from the listeners about that. um, How that, you know, how that would work and staying calm. We talk about staying calm, but then we also have life. Mm -hmm. My mom used to say, and maybe not everybody agrees, but she always used to say that there's nothing worse than a tired mother and a hungry father. And my question is sometimes we are tired and that's life and we are hungry and maybe we can't be calm at this moment. How do, and when we talk about, uh, you know, we want to stay in that correct space and the ability to stay calm and to connect and to be able to, is it possible in these days? There's no doubt it's, it's possible because you, once you know, like with any job, if you know what you're doing, you start when they're very young. You can't wait till they're 10. So once you start implementing things like manners, etc., routine, putting things away when they can watch, it's amazing and how they cooperate because you want kids to cooperate and you want to be fair because sibling rivalry, which is a big problem, is perceived unfairness from one or other of their kids. Parents often think they're parenting the same, but they're not. And we've got to hear, if a child says, but you're not fair, right, just explain to me why I'm not fair. So it's a whole system. It's a so you think that when a child says to the parent, you're not fair, they need to listen carefully because maybe they aren't? 
absolutely. But often just giving them that say makes the difference rather than just I'm your parent. You know. Why do we parent differently our kids? Because we're not taught. I, I, if I can no, but were you saying that you have two children, three children, uh, you'll uh, parent each one of them different? Why? Yeah. Because if you, let's say, the first one, let's just say as an example, the first one might have been a prem, born a bit prem, parents really panicky about this, she might have had difficulty having a child. The tendency might be to overprotect. Even though the kid's fully recovered after six months, all his faculties are there, it's not a problem. But then there's that tendency, my only child, well, God forbid something happens to it, and I've got to be there for my child. Then they've had that experience, they have a second child. But now the first one's the morning, but the second one's more cooperative, and we're even talking to them differently. We don't have the exact rules. Like, for instance, one child might always be, when mom comes home, wants to carry the bag. And then the other one comes, oh, but that's not fair. No, don't be silly, it's only a bag. To the other child, it's important. They feel it's not fair. So it's understanding a child's perception. It's how they perceive it. So fairness is a very big thing with children. And, and, we need a, and we, you're saying we need to validate them, yeah. even if we're going to put the boundary and say it doesn't matter, it's not your turn, we need to validate that, it. That, and we, that's right. And how do we solve the problem? Because sibling rivalry is a reality, but it doesn't have to be there. It's more phenomenon than anything else. And it's, it's, it's getting the child to be able to express themselves and trust you. And, and you do that by being firm, assertive, and calm. And when you're doing it, 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 it really works well. Okay, so one parent is, one mom actually can see, sending in an SMS that she's, she's going to take your idea. Um, hi, good afternoon, Robert. Thanks so much for the most informative show. I think it depends on what shop. I, be, I think she's going back to the milk in the shop that we spoke in the beginning of the show. And what she's saying here is maybe a small shop, meaning she, will not, she won't try it at a big shop, but she will take a trial. Um, maybe a small shop will make my son feel very proud. I think I will try. Thanks so much. Okay, yeah, so here yeah, we go. Yeah, there were the twins. They were three. I think three or four. Take the first time I took the one twin with, to the shop, went into the shop with her, gave her the money, stood at the back of the shop, just needed bread and milk. She went to the uh, milk, went to the bread, stood in the queue on her own. It was quite cute because she was small, and of course people lift her up onto the counter. But she was so chuffed once she had done that. And then once she was used to that, we just used to stop outside get her into the shop, and off she'd go. And th that's what we did with the kids. They can do those sort of things if they want a takeaway. They can go into a shop, they can go into Nando's and order. Little five-year-old can go to the counter and say, may I have whatever? And you just give them money, you stand at the door, and they feel they're achieving something. It, it definitely has an effect. What they can do, they must do. And we tend to often believe they can't do it. So believing in our children is obviously crucial and believing that they can and maybe finding the way to not only believe that they can but trust them enough that yeah. for actually to try and yeah. achieve. I want to ask you about something else that you kind of didn't speak about but you mentioned in passing and maybe I didn't understand you correctly. Because uh, you know, I know you for some time and facilitated many of your talks and you, you qu quote your children or speak about your personal life yeah. and about raising your own children for quite some time. And I've noticed that when you just quoted the story about the TV with your daughter, you referred to her as saying, Ken, can I watch mm. TV? And many parents potentially would feel surprised a bit that your child would call you Ken instead of dad, father, whatever it is. 
I'm curious about that. Didn't have a problem with that at all. They were respectful. Why did you choose that? Because they were little kids. You chose what they were going to call no, you. I didn't choose. They called me Ken. They heard my wife calling me Ken. They called me Ken. I didn't have a problem. They had a father where they called me as dad. You know, of course, we've imposed it on them. They needed to feel comfortable. The thing is, they were respectful. They, they, they you adopted them when they were three. Is that they correct? were three or four, yeah. Three, three or four. Half, yeah. So when the three-year-old comes in and calls you Ken, it's 100% in your hands to say, that's not my name, or you could call me if you have a dad, call me mm. father, or whatever it is. But you chose to go with a direct name. Yeah. How does that influence the relationship, or does it, or doesn't it? Because yeah. I know it's a debate. Interesting, now they're 22. They've got their life here. They really have appreciated what I did. I mean, it's quite amazing because they look at their friends and they appreciate the fact that they're just so self-motivated. They've never had sibling rivalry. They shared the same room right until matric. All of those things. And there was no shouting and screaming in the house. But there was consistent structures. And we had fun. I mean, like on Shabbat. I mean, Shabbat was manners night. And that was really quite cute. That's when we had a big meal, you know, roast and whatever. So they broke over the candles. And then it was, on the meal, my wife, we'd either flip a coin who was going to choose who had the best manners at the table. And that was really cute. I mean, to see them, excuse my fingers, they stretching, excuse me, stretching. They learned all of that. And they loved Shabbat. It was just the most amazing evening. It was, they, 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 they were a pleasure. But you would announce the best manners based on flipping a coin? No, we, no then, the, then the, my wife or I would decide who chose. Now, we wouldn't favor anybody. You know, as long as they tried, you know, like okay. the one tended to chomp, but she was making an effort. Bring it to their attention, so it was their effort. If it was equal, they both won a prize. So there was ne- never a feeling of favoritism. But it was just to see their behavior at that table. It was quite amazing. They set the table, took off, because they were content. And it just created an incredible vibe, which is what you want. I'm almost questioning if I should go down this route. Yeah. But I will. Sure. Um, you talk about not losing your patience, not losing your, your cool, staying calm, staying clear. Does, is there effect on children or what effect are you seeing in your work when the parents lose their cool or lose control about something else? So let's say it could be between themselves as parents that they are not getting along as they used to and they're losing control at each other or screaming or shouting or, or being really upset. Um, nothing to do with the child. Does that have an effect? And how do we deal with that? If they don't resolve it, definitely. You have many parents said that we're staying together for the sake of our kids. Use the number of people I've spoken to, young adults, that have said, I wish my parents had got divorced. Because they heard so many times that they stayed together for the sake of their kids. But in the meantime, the home was chaotic. But maybe they don't know. Because I wonder if you had it also from kids that the parents eventually did get divorced and they still said it's better this way. But the kids just want, want to feel safe and secure. When parents are shouting, it makes them insecure. Because they don't understand what they're fighting about. Remember, parents have had a life's experience. Kids haven't had that experience. They live in their own little world. They don't know what being in love is, having a breakup. Um, not being considered. They've got to learn all those things about life. So the adults' issues, they can't comprehend. Just stop shouting, or mom might try and influence them, or mom might come and sleep with them even in their bed, which really doesn't, it confuses them. So they've just got to know if I can just 
using an analogy, pilots flying a plane. Now that is a good analogy what parents are. It takes two pilots to fly a plane. They might have their differences, but flying that plane, they've got to put those differences aside and they've got to focus on what they're doing. So Did parents should be aware that they shouldn't be doing that in front of them. Does kids. it take two pilots or do they shift? It's interesting. It can, they can, a plane can fly with one pilot. They train to fly alone. It's like when a couple get divorced. A single That's mom, exactly what I was asking. Yes, single mom can bring up children with no problem. She's the other co-pilot, and if this pilot collapses with some problem, can't panic. They've got to know how to. They know how to. If the head pilot is hungry. <laughs> then yeah, okay. So it, it's that sort of analogy, and they can do it. Parents can do it, and and but they have their own emotional issues, and they've got to understand. Kids, young kids, are very concrete. They don't understand concepts like death, you know, and guilt, and all of this stuff. They don't fully understand that. They often. Copy how do we teach it to them? Because we need to teach them about death and yeah, about exactly death. by teaching them empathy and how to be considerate. Because kids are born subjective, impulsive, and selfish. They only about themselves. If dad, mom says yes, dad says no, and the kid gets his own way, mom and dad don't talk, kids talk. And he might go to mom and say, dad's horrible. You know, so they, they don't get emotionally involved like that. They won't have any guilt feelings when they're lying in their bed because as long as they got what they wanted. So it's understanding that, that the parents have to see that if children are going to witness this sort of, they don't understand it, just makes them a bit insecure and they, they haven't got the tools to make the parents feel better. They don't know what to say that's going to help the parents feel better. So they feel very trapped and very it's stuck. Trapped and insecure. You, you talk about children being that when they're born, their brain, they are impulsive and, uh, you know, at the beginning with no self-control. And that is our job. So after the break, I do want to go into there, but and see okay, how do we do to resonate? And, and some kids maybe just stay impulsive. And, and we, I've met some adults impulsive, I think, one, two, maybe, that were, no, that were impulsive. So how do we uh, address and, and work in that space? A short break, and we will come right back. The Chai Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. 1.9 I'm here in the middle of a fascinating discussion with Dr. Ken Resnick, and he's a well-known psychologist, the founder of Smart Choice Parenting, as well as a presenter, as I said, on Kamoha Parenting Group, and quite a bit uh, um, experienced, not quite a bit, a lot of bit. I mean, you've been in this field for many, many years. And... You know, right before the break, you spoke about the concept that kids are born impulsive, and it's our job to help them not be impulsive and get there. And my question to you that is it our job, and can we do it? We, we meet adults that are impulsive, we meet kids that are impulsive, we meet kids that are having a hard time, and what can we do as parents when our child is impulsive? All right, so the one thing that seems to have disappeared with kids, manners, simple little thing. A little one-year-old, they can't, they'll grab something out of your hand. You've got to stop them. What do you say? Ta. When they take it, ta again. Slows them down. They can't come and just take a cell phone. I've seen kids taking cell phones out of their mother's bag. They never ask. Today, the kids don't ask. I want, and they grab. So we've got to, by teaching manners, thanks for dinner, mom, that is really nice. May I please, may I turn on the radio, may I turn on the TV, do you mind? It's gone. Now, that means that impulsivity is never addressed. 
by calming a kid down by having them to ask. And if they just say, I want this, sorry, I didn't hear you. Do you want to go and just practice and come and tell me how you should ask me or how do you want to do it? So we're teaching them all the time appropriate behavior without actually having to shout at them. And it's amazing how that works because remember impulsive kids stay impulsive. And then you've got a problem. Once they're teenagers, it's inherent in who they are. They be, a lot of them become narcissistic. There's a huge, a lot of patterns that are developing amongst the youth of today. But impulsivity is mind-blowing, that they can interrupt while you're talking. They can interrupt, with your, they get too familiar with adults. So, and what's happening today, kids, because we become so protective, mix far too much with adults. And often they get familiar with the adults. You talk about manners, and I have to ask the impact of social media. Because in the past, you know, growing up, when we had a friend and we wanted to speak to, so we took a picture of the phone and we called and we said, hello, how are you, well and you, the whole ritual, and then the person came, we had manners. Today, in social media, we can have a discussion with someone on WhatsApp, just start with no beginning or no caring, and even if we do have that, then we get busy, so we can, and then four hours later we just send another message, and then two hours later they receive, and, and it's very, one-worded, unconsiderate. Is that okay because it's isolated to social media and that's how we communicate today? Or is that in, um, affecting our ability to have matters, manners? It's been, they've been not taught manners. They're not taught at home. They just grow. They backchat their parents. They just take what they feel like. They don't put it away. They'll go and just take a yogurt out of the fridge, make a mess. Mom says, clean it up. They won't clean it up. So it's that, that appreciation. Now, I know, like, if I can use my stepkids again, we had a rule that they want to watch TV, they had to ask. So Erica said, again, I'm using Erica. She shame, said to Erica. Me, yeah, shame, Erica. She said to me, but isn't it a family TV? I said, it is, but it belongs to me. All you've got to do is ask. I'm not going to say no. And I can't explain that little thing what it did. Because when they got in the car and I fetched them after school, they would never have just changed the radio program. Ken, do you mind if we listen to radio? I felt. So it comes automatically to the child where they behave appropriately. When they go out, they know how to behave. They don't won't just go and grab a sweet in a plate in a visit, you know, somebody they're visiting. So you're teaching them all the time the norms of how to behave in society. Builds up their confidence because they're always getting good feedback. But one would say to you, well, maybe Erica's special and my child will go turn on the TV and couldn't care less. And if I say, excuse me, you can't just go on and turn on the TV. They'll say, well, I am. That, that is, Erica, just by the way, was a different ADHD child. They were like twins. So she was always in trouble. She tantrumed. She wanted to come first. She wanted two pieces of chicken in case she wanted the so second. I think you should pay for her therapy today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So, uh, so, and and uh, it was amazing. She had this thing, and Zoe was a sweet little quiet one. Within a week, it was a different house because uh, I was fair, and she saw that. Can I use an example quickly? So she came home. She had been to a party. She came home with coloring books and crayons. Then Mel, who was my girlfriend at the time, just said to me, Erica won't let Zoe use her coloring book and crayons. So I went up to her and I said, X, can Zoe use them? She said, no, they're mine. I said, fine. I said, are you going to use them No. No, she said, I don't want to use them. I said, well, then just put them away. And I said, if you want to draw after supper, you can. But she was gobsmacked. 
She had never been spoken to like that. She was either selfish, a little brat, everything. After supper, she went to Zoe and she said to Zoe, Zoe, you can use my coloring book and crayons. Only because it was fair. Why? Because it was fair. She didn't get shouted at. She felt this was hers because she's always getting shouted at. Why should she? And that selfishness, it was a, but the, and that changed so much in our house. Those kids, I mean, I don't know what would have happened to her, but living in that playing field just made all the difference. So, and basically what you're saying is that part of what makes kids selfish is the feeling that things are not fair. Oh, yeah, and they absolutely. need to protect their property. Yeah. They become possessive. It belongs to them. And that's why you've got to always got to ask a child. You can't have kids come into us and just allowing them to play with, an, let's say, a sibling's toys without asking the sibling. You've always got to ask and say, do you mind if so-and-so, you know, let's say you have one child brings a friend home. You can't just say to that friend, listen, you can play with the other one's toys. You've got to, that is what builds respect. When you consider them, and they're the little things, not the big things. So I, I just I, I need to ask you about something you commented earlier. You spoke about the concept of, you know, when parents are in conflict and how it rips the children apart and the difficulties around that. And many times I hear from parents about, you know, I grew up in a home that my mom screamed at me and I cannot handle it. Or a child said, but he grew up in a home that the parents were commanders, etc., whatever. And then the parent says, I f- actually feel a need to protect my child from my spouse. I feel a need to step in if my wife is shouting at the child. I feel a need to step in if my husband is being aggressive or whatever it is. How do we balance that need to protect the child with understanding the stress and conflict they will put on the child? You must remember kids are quite tough. They're born you to don't survive. Say. <laughs> as long as you don't abuse them, they become very manipulative when parents or at odds. When the mom feels that dad's too hard on the child, the kids have a tendency to go to mom, to be there, and it makes dad even more angry. So then dad starts becoming sort of distant, and then mom, mom wraps herself around the kids. Well, the kids, they're okay, they've got mom, mom's doing whatever she can for them, but it's not in their best interest. And they're not being abused, so they'll start manipulating. And if it means that mom's not going to talk to dad for a month, but the kids got their own way, they're going to be chilled. So it's all about understanding that the kids are little human beings. And as long as you don't abuse them, sure, they'll manipulate to get their own way. They'll all try their luck. But they've just got to take the consequences if they caught. <laughs> Simple as that. And deal with what, you know... What, what you've what agreed to, the consequences. What you've agreed. Yeah. So basically, the parents as adults have to, you know, figure out how to come in together and, and, and agree. And if there isn't, and if they can't, they can't. And, and there's there's no way to comfort them it's basically what you're saying it will come with a price and they've got to come, they've got to go for help it really is like having a business and the partners that are with each other you know, you're not going to get the workers just working so you've got to understand that we've got to sort this out with our kids our issues are one thing parenting is a job we've got to work on that together our issues we've got to put even aside. with our trauma and things yeah. like I think we need to go deeper into that one day because I don't know how much time we have right now the Chai Chinuch Show is brought to you by King David Schools, the cornerstone of our community for 75 years. Nine, Chai FM, Chai Chinuch, We are really towards the end of the show, and I want to ask you, Ken, what do you wish to see for the community? What do you wish to see for the next generation of parents? That seems like the world is getting tougher, not easier. So oh, what I, do you hope? I think they've got to understand that bringing up kids is a responsibility, 
that's totally dependent on them and that they need to sort out with their husband because they need to work together. Nobody's a perfect parent. We can't be perfect parents because we were brought up by parents. So we've all got our hang-ups. I think we have to understand that. Well, maybe our parents were perfect. (laughs) No, unfortunately. (laughs) Mine were. So so the, the, the whole idea is to be able to say, look, let's make a deal. We bring up these children. We love them. It's a job. We've got to work together. Let's go and try and find out how to do it. It doesn't mean parents are reluctant to go for help. They'd much rather hear something wrong with their kid, but somebody else is going to fix the problem. To get them to come and... Why? That is interesting because it's a world... When I did my doctorate, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Parents don't go to parenting. They don't enjoy going to parenting programs. I think they don't want to feel that they're bad parents. And that's not what I'm trying to do. We're only human beings. Marriages are not easy, but when we, this is a job that we can learn to do. Once we can understand what's required, that's all it is. But unfortunately, you're not selected to be a parent. I think the population in the world would be half if, if parents had to apply to be a parent. Could it be parents not really sure what they're in for before they become parents? Definitely. You know, that's, you know the kids are always lovely. You look at a muzzle tov, etc., and at the end of the day, it's, they don't just grow up. And there's nothing worse, I think, when a parent, because parents try too hard. They, they really make that if they're trying too hard. That's the problem. They need to, ma- a manager can't be there doing everybody's work. They train it's like when you're climbing a mountain and you're, hold, you're scared to fall. You're holding so tight that your hand hurts yeah, and, yeah, instead exactly. of just holding. Exactly. And, you're just, and, and that's right. much easier to climb then. It's a good analogy, that. And that's, that's we've, there's a much, there's a, it's not difficult. If you know what you're doing, I think that's, uh, they just got to be prepared to hear that. But mom and dad have to be on the same page. You okay. So if any mom and dad are listening, and I do see some messages coming in as well, yeah. um, is how do they get in touch with you? They can contact me on my cell or WhatsApp me. How about a website? Website, smartchoiceparenting.co.za. Okay, so they can find you on web and website smartchoiceparenting.co.za or email email info at smartchoiceparenting.co.za okay and get the opportunity to learn and grow and 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 do smart choices it's a good feeling when you when you see the results when you've you've done yeah i think we're going to do that as i told you i think maybe we're going to have you one day um, in some time with with your daughters, yeah. and yeah. let's let's challenge yeah. that yeah. and see how we what we get and how we see. Yeah. Doctor Ken Resnick, it's been a pleasure as always. As said, the f- the founder of Smart Choice Parenting, as well as Kamocha Parenting Group uh, presenter, and really a person with a lot of experience and a lot of uh, work that has been done in this field. Pleasure as always. Good afternoon. Thank you so much with being for being with us today. Thank you to Sana for putting us the, the putting up this interview. Thank you for Craig for managing the shows perfectly. Thank you to the listeners that are here and dedicated even in such heavy weather or wherever you are in the world. And I'm passing it up to the news for now. In the meantime, I'll be back next week, Monday, two to three, as we do every week. Stay safe and make smart choices as parents. I think uh, nothing could be better than that. Thank you.